Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney, here with freelance writer Cameron Kunzelman. Cam, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, what is your top going concern these days? I was trying to think, like, what's the best way to introduce you? Are you the world's foremost expert on Baldur's Gate? Are you a oh, game wow. studies study buddy? Uh, oh, wow. What is, what's the thing that people need to look up to get more, more of Cam Kunzelman to figure out what you're all about? Oh gosh, I don't know. I, yeah, game study study buddies is probably one of those big things. Uh, you, you can you can just Google that game studies study buddies. It's where me and Michael Lutz sit down uh, and uh, you know spend a couple hours reading a book <laughs> and then talking about it, uh, walking through it painstakingly. Uh, we just finished an episode. Just posted an episode on uh, the King of Kong, where we talk for longer than that movie is. So, I mean, that's how, yes, that's what it requires to do analysis. I'm look, <laughs> yes, I had a podcast shout out from under me uh, because we talked longer than the things we were discussing. Uh, but nevertheless, <laughs> I think that was that was crucial to having a good discussion. Uh, yeah, no, no, I get it. But yeah, that's that's my thing. Yeah. If, and if you are uh, curious about uh, the oncoming Baldur's Gate three, uh, but, you know, you can check out Mages and Murder Dads, which is a show that uh, we did um like a few years ago, we did it over several years, but where we played all the Baldur's Gate games and some other kind of uh, inheritors of the tradition and talked about them also in extremely minute detail. <laughs> um, so if you're if you're looking to prep for Baldur's Gate 3, that kind of thing. Yeah, but but I, you know, I write a lot. Um, I uh, produce videos and podcasts and things like that. Um, uh, I can tell you where all those things are at the end of the episode to encourage you to listen to this whole thing. Uh, but in the meantime, <laughs> to that theme of talking about something longer than it takes to mm. experience it, uh, we're going to be talking about micro RTS games, uh, for, for lack of a better term, uh, because there's kind of been a nice crop of small format, real-time strategy games that in some ways do not do what you're expecting uh, from what you know what we've been trained to expect with mainstream RTS games uh, and then there are some that are also as they begin to shrink down the format and uh, try to refine the experience down to some sort of essential RTS uh, RTS-ishness uh, for, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term uh, they also begin creating some new and novel experiences uh, but I think we'd we should start off with a game that you pointed me to, uh, Circle Empires, which might be the most traditional of this you know group of three we're going to be discussing. We're going to be discussing uh, Escape Dead Earth, Death Crown, as well. But Circle Empires is in some ways the most like a traditional RTS that just happens to be sort of condensed into a uh, Happy Meal container. Uh, in, in some ways. Uh, Cam, what is Circle Empires? Oh, Circle Empires is... I don't... I don't um, uh, maybe I can look it up in a minute. I don't remember the name of the development studio. Uh, Luminous. Luminous. Um, it came out maybe 2018, I believe, uh, is the initial release date on that. Um, and it is, uh, you know, exactly what's on the label. There are uh, these circles that exist in big grids, and they're like little biomes. And uh, in those biomes, you can uh, build troops, you can build uh, buildings, and you can farm and do things like that. You place little resources and then 
Um, they grow and you and, and you harvest them, things like that. Um, and then you build troops and then you take over other circles that are conjoined to your circle, um, therefore building a circle empire. <laughs> um, and your troops are what you might think of from any kind of rts kind of game. So there's melee combat, there is or there are archers, there's healers, there are faster archers you know, who are on horseback, there are knights who uh, have knockback. There are necromancers, and they, they kind of get bigger from that. Um, you have three resources of food, wood, and gold. And the more expensive ones take more resources. So the idea is that you will take over a circle, and you take over a circle by defeating whatever enemy is there, which it could either be a monster or it could be another, um, another kind of NPC uh, empire. You knock them out of the circle, you plant more resources, you get more resources, so each one of your little circles starts generating more and more and more, and so you can do things like uh, get dragons at the end of the game and things like that. Um, and that's it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a game I've written about quite a few different times. Uh, I've called it a death ball game, and I think I've called all of these a death ball game. Um, which is my way of talking some about these. Some are more these. death balls than others, though. Some are more death balls than others, absolutely. Uh, but I even I even think that you know Death Crown is a death ball game. But uh, but that, by that right, I'm just referring to like the Protoss strategy of uh, in StarCraft, where you just build a big big hunk of units and just use that to roll over everything. And so your whole game is about building this big army and then using it to do stuff. Um, and I just think it's, I, I think it's really cool. I, I, I think, Robbie, you're exactly right when you say, you know, this is, they're paring down the RTS into a very particular shape. And what I think is so interesting about uh, Circle Empires, even though I agree it's the most traditional, what I think is so cool about it is that it, it really pairs it down into something that's fairly quick to play, which RTS games are not known for. And in uh, really simple, like there's not a lot of complexity to it. But I, you know, I was telling you when we were uh, prepping for the episode, you know, I haven't played this game in, you know, several months. The other day I installed it and played it for like 45 minutes. I had a great time. Um, so it really kind of is evergreen, too, which I don't necessarily think I, I can't do that with StarCraft, too. Right. Like, yeah, I think this thing. is. I think this is kind of essential. I think so much of the trajectory of the RTS was toward this idea of it being a pastime more than a game in some mm -hmm. ways, right? And yeah. so StarCraft II very much was this game where you really needed to study it and sort of build the muscle memory to play it competently. Uh, we've complained about this many times on, on the show. Uh, you, can, you can take or leave. Uh, you can sort of take or leave what StarCraft II is offering, but you can't deny it is, is very much asking a player to invest quite a bit to build up the uh, breadth of knowledge and the muscle memory and just the understanding of the different, uh, you know, the different openings and build paths you can you can take throughout a game mm -hmm. and all of that can be fine that's that's that can be for you know if you have an rts you really love getting into the nitty-gritty of that can be one of the great delights i think this is we you know the last year or so uh sort of our multiplayer group over on the 3ma discord has played a lot of rise of nations that is a game mm. that is nothing but small nuanced differences between factions uh that have pretty drastic impacts on how you play them but what that kind of precludes is the rts as a board game you can just sort of slap down 
and play once in a great while and have a great time playing it, right? That it is mm-hmm. tough to just pick up and play a StarCraft, uh, a, you know, a Steel Division, a mm-hmm. uh, Age of Empires 2 uh, just had its definitive edition. These things are, when you, when you really start to reckon with how much is happening in them, you start to realize how much they're asking of you to really grasp and understand. I think what I appreciate about Circle Empires is it really does condense a lot of those trade-offs down to very pointed essentials, right? Like taking for, for instance, like map design and how the, and how an RTS map is laid out. Choke points absolutely exist in Circle Empires and so do ways to get around them. But by having it sort of turned into this grid of tiny little discs that people are fighting over, you don't, what you don't end up fussing with is the exact topography of a yeah. choke point or a uh, you know or, or an end run to to a different resource patch, the next resource patch is always just one space over. What it condenses it, what it reduces it to, is just this consideration of, well, what is what is open to me from this position? What am I exposed to from this position? What are my vulnerabilities? And yeah. I find that really satisfying. Like it's it's not it doesn't require as much consideration or analysis as a lot of your classic rts games but you are still reckoning with the same classic dilemmas yeah absolutely and and the have you played on any of the higher difficulties yet um not not really no Uh, i didn't feel the need to challenge myself too much yeah i don't i don't think you have to um and, and uh, like especially as you like start doing because the game uh, for people who haven't played it the game progresses in difficulty by basically changing the board size so i think the first board is like eight squares total something like that and then it goes up to like 36 or 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 uh, 60 um so it, it, you know the number of circles get really really big but what's really interesting um i think it you know slightly anywhere above normal these NPC empires start being more aggressive than they were earlier in the game or in, in lower difficulties. So, so it's the exact kind of thing you're talking about of, you know, there, there might be a, a circle in front of you right to your north um, that has a lot of enemies in it. And it's going to be easier for you if you, say, build a couple defensive towers in your circle and then split your army in half and attack from, from two sides, basically. Um, but at the higher difficulties of Circle Empires, the the AI will see that you've split your army, or yeah. they'll be—I guess—they'll see how much army power you have in a thing in a circle, and they will attack. You know, your split army aggressively into you, and so I really like that—that that that's something we would associate with a more complicated RTS. But even down in this very simplified form, that is that is a, a thrilling encounter and a thrilling thing to have to like figure out how to solve. Um, but not with you know the the massive kind of uh, you know Rome total war, <laughs> yeah, um, apparatus around it. And I think that's a that's a crucial thing too. Uh, the adjacent circle and sort of the combat value of what's on it is always marked. Yes, like you never have any question about how strongly defended is this or that position. The game basically tells you here's what's there. What it can't tell you is how that will match up with your army. Right? Yes. There are still interesting matchup things that can make the combat value deceptive like if you uh for instance i had a really 
stoutly defended position that I wanted to take. The AI just had troops all over it, but they had a lot of like backline ranged units. And what I managed to do was, while all my melee troops were sort of assaulting from the front, I did have from a side door basically onto that onto that circle, I had a bunch of knights and ranged cavalry. And mm-hmm. they just came in and cut down the AI's ranged units like in seconds. Um, and that was that was a case where I probably had equivalent uh, combat value, but just because of the way the units matched up, I reduced theirs much more efficiently. Uh, and sort of that is where I think the game is still asking you to employ some skill, some 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 tactics, uh, some analysis, but it doesn't have it, it doesn't have a lot of interest in confusing you, right? Like mm, the combat yeah. value is still the value. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh that's such an excellent part of it that you really do have to be able to read you know, it's not it's not uh, it's not StarCraft, right? You're not having to try to figure out like what uh, you know what Zergling speed upgrade they have, um, but you do have to be like, oh yeah, are there are there a bunch of archers here? Oh, do they have four or five healer units, which are very very effective in this game and and really can make a, a frontline combat uh, encounter difficult for you if you don't have an equivalent number, like. You know, those are little. I think you know, for the micro RTS, these are more maybe micro decisions. Um, but but I, you know, you're making fewer of them um, for each given encounter. I'm I'm really only parsing three or four pieces of information as opposed to ten. Uh, and I've played a whole lot of StarCraft too. Like I like that game, and and yeah. I when I get into it, I am into it, very serious about it. Um, but. Um, but yeah, I would rather I would just rather play like four or five of these games. Well, and I think, I think it's just charming, and yeah, I think yes. it, you know, it reminds me of like Warcraft two, right? Yes, Which was when uh, I yeah. think a lot of people fell in love with the genre, where it was just like, look, I'm going to band select this mob of dudes, and I'm going to bum rush that gold mine, <laughs> and we're going to see what happens. And I think it grew in complexity beyond that for for good reasons, but. I think that Circle Empire shows there's so much that can be done with that kind of simplicity. And I'm really curious uh, because one of the other things that unfolds over the course of the game, in addition to sort of unlocking like harder difficulty modes uh, that you're going up against, as you are winning these uh, skirmish games, you are also unlocking not quite new factions, but new characters who command your armies and they provide different uh, benefits to your side. So some of them have different starting benefits. Uh, Some of them, I think, have different options with regards to troops. But uh, what you are unlocking is these overlays on sort of the dirt simple economy and armies of Circle Empires. Yeah, these these things are rad. I really, because you know, I think you could you could play this game and be like, there's not a lot of design sensibility to it. You know, the, I think you could play it and think the design was in the cutting, less than in the building. Yeah. Um, and but I think that the the kind of commanders or leaders or whatever the game calls them, I think they are so cool because some of them are, you know, uh, immediately on face things you would design, right? So one is like. 
every time you get a new circle, every time you conquer a new circle, you get a bank, which just passively generates gold. And like, you know, the merchant, I think, makes that. So like, that's okay. But there are some that are very cool. One of the, one of them is, um, she's like a witch, uh, or maybe, maybe, uh, like a fairy godmother. I can't, it's something like that. Um, and for her, uh, if you ever have a worker who is not working for more than two seconds, it turns into a pumpkin. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's really cool. And so there's a benefit. Like, it, it's this whole, like, economy of really cool design decisions for it. Because workers, for the most part in the game, should always be doing something. But you can overproduce, and they might not, might not have something to do. But pumpkins are in fact harvestable yeah um and they often basically the way the pumpkin works in the game is you place it um for 200 wood which is quite a bit you place it on the map and it grows over x amount of time and then workers can harvest it to get more food from that from that uh, circle but yeah so you could you can convert workers to pumpkins efficiently or accidentally, for example, if you are you have too many workers in a circle and they mine everything out too quickly, then all your workers turn into pumpkins immediately. And basically your game is over. So it's, And she starts with more workers, too. So it's kind of this risk-reward kind of little micro game that's in this other strategy game. I love it. It's great. Yeah, and I think uh, another thing I really enjoy is the fact that it's sort of defense and offense quite aren't quite as discreet in this game as they mm -hmm. are in other rts's like once you cross the bridge from one circle into the next uh the towers that defend each circle engage right they begin exchanging mm -hmm. fire across the the chasm um and i really kind of appreciated this sense that it's almost like two positions are fighting a battle as opposed to just armies assaulting mm -hmm. uh fortified positions uh i thought yes. that was a that was a cool touch too because then it again it changes this in a lot of rts games money spent on static defense is just money like that can't be used then on uh on offense right like you're yeah. basically you know nailing one foot to the floor uh for the for the fight and unless somebody walks into those defenses they're not going to end up doing a whole lot circle empires is interesting because those towers you build uh and they can have different you know you have poison towers you can have like uh fireball towers just archer towers uh they're not wasted on offense like they will join in a fight uh once the attack begins but it does definitely telegraph where the attack you know where the attack might be happening right like yeah uh and so you still have you know, because again, because the the great way that map is laid out, you know, it's you you can you can put all those all those uh, defenses in a place where they will be useful on offense, but that still does mean they're not available somewhere else, right? Like you could yeah. beef up for an attack somewhere, and that just means the AI notes that somewhere else now is really soft, and they will just come pouring through, and now you have a choice of do you do you uh, not quite base trade. Uh, but do you just trade circles at this point and and try to figure it out from there? Uh, I think that's again such a cool idea, and it makes it it keeps the towers in the toolbox in a way that I think a lot of RTS games end up discouraging you from playing around with their uh, turtling tactics. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's cool about it too, you know, because there's building in this game, but it's very limited, right? It's building banks or, you know, planting pumpkins or something like that. It's not, you know, you're not creating, uh, when, when you plop a unit down, you're literally plopping a unit onto the map. It's not a, you know, build time or you don't have to build production facilities or anything like that. So, you know, when you do the thing that's basically circle trading or base trading, right, where they're attacking your thing and you're attacking theirs and you change positions, what's interesting about that in this game is that, you know, if you lose, if you both base trade in StarCraft 2, you then have to make some like hard decisions about what remaining units exist on the battlefield and how they might match up to one another. And there are instances where you just can't win or the game really can't go very far from there. Um, in Circle Empires, you can just start building more stuff on those circles you've taken, and the game hasn't really moved all that much. Um, you know, you, you really do have to be thinking kind of uh, in an encompassing way about how to take out, you know, the opponent's circles kind of back to back. Because you can base trade and just keep playing the game yeah. from where the position you've developed, um, which is very unique, I think, in this type of game. Yeah, I... Uh... I kind of adore this. Uh, and again, like, this thing is $8. Yeah. So, like, in terms of, like, RTS fun to be had, this is a pretty ridiculous value. Uh, and I, I think I do highly, highly recommend this uh, because it, it does feel so much like classic RTS, but also it feels like the product of a lot of reflection on what's the part I want from an RTS and what's the stuff I'm comfortable setting aside. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next thing we're going to talk about, I feel a little bit more conflicted about. Uh, it is Escape Dead Earth, which Cam, uh, came to my attention, both this and Death Crown did, uh, via a piece you wrote for us over at Waypoint. And Escape Dead Earth you know, you described as a death ball, you know, a, a death ball RTS. Um, mm -hmm. And that's very much the, that is very much the, the core mechanic of this game is all your dudes follow your little mouse around like a leash. And uh, they just form this giant mass of robot soldiers uh, as they run around the map. And the catch is, of course, as you win these battles against AI robots and leave their broken robot bodies on the ground, you can spend energy to hack them and resurrect them as members of your army. Uh, Cam, what, this is a game that on the surface is absolutely dead simple. Mm -hmm. uh, where did it begin to get its hooks into you? I mean, I, I think it's the, the dead simplicity, and, and I think this is one that you're a little bit colder on too, right? I mean, you're not... Yeah, I mean, but I, I have some specific reasons for it that actually have mm -hmm. less to do with the design and more with uh, just the just some quirks of the map layout and some <laughs> unexpected uh, complications from the way this game works. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, what I think is interesting about this game is um, that that for the most part, although I guess you could theoretically, uh, if you were a very diligent player you could very safely without any much effort, like beat this game your first try. Um, but what I, what I like about the game is that it, it really is a whole lot of making decisions about what kind of fights to take and then when to resurrect in the middle of a fight in order to build a bigger army. Like, I don't, I don't think this is like, you know, obviously this is an extremely simple game. Um, 
But there's something about the kind of little small puzzle decisions that are being made. The fact that you really can't control your army. You can control where they are and when they move, but you can't make them attack, for example. You can just move them into other units, and then sometimes it works. Um, and sometimes they hit each other. It really does feel like you're this... Um, you know, and weirdly enough, this is not what I wrote in the piece, but but having played it, continued playing it after I wrote that and, and thinking of it afterward, it, it really does feel like you're kind of an AI who is just trying to guide this big robot army and trying to build it up as you go. And it's like not hyper responsive to you. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just something about there's something about having basically only two actions you can do in an RTS move and make your army bigger. And then getting into situations where uh, you're having to use those tactically. So, for example, you in the middle of a fight, if this big titan, there, there's not that many units. There's maybe six or seven unit types. And there's one that's like this massive kind of, uh, you know, humanoid looking titan. And it'll just smash your, your little small robots um, immediately. And so when you see one coming or you see one being a part of a fight, you, you really have to move your units into it and surround it in order to get that kind of, uh, you know, zerg surround, zergling surround, uh, to keep it from, from um, or to do damage to it as quickly as possible. And so it's like these little micro decisions, and then as soon as it goes down, you need to hit the right click in order to resurrect it, make it part of your army so that it can fight the other one that's coming. Um, it's just little, it, 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 to me, you know, it's even, if Circle Empires is paring down a genre into a very specific slice and then just being like wow would, isn't it cool that the slice works on its own then i think escape dead earth is like even more right it's like can, can you just move can moving and making troops be the only thing you do in an rts and will it work um and i think it does work you know i don't know I, it's not a game I'm going to go back to like day after day for the next two yeah. years, but it is a game that I played a few times in a row. And then I ended up beating on, you know, I intentional being very intentional about my strategy, about beating it. Um, you know, I thought it was a very rewarding game. Um, I enjoyed it. Like I would enjoy a short film, you know? Yeah. It reminded me of, um, it also brought me back to a game called cannon fodder. Uh, mm -hmm. which was, again, a similar sort of you just pull a little army of guys and just have them gun. Like, there's a shoot 'em up quality to this uh, in terms of just, like, rolling the rolling the ball of robots over these, over these enemies and sort of reacting uh, to new enemies joining the fight. Uh, and I also enjoyed the, as you said, the robots are not super responsive. One of the things you run into is... There are sort of backline robots uh, that mm -hmm. will be in your army that are more effective back there. They've got big guns, uh, you know, or, you know, lots of like little laser blasters. And some of them are also more delicate. But the thing is, you can't, you can't actually tell any robot go to the back line. Like that, yeah. that doesn't exist in this game. Mm -hmm. uh, so what you end up having to do is almost Rubik's Cube your army around to orient it toward another enemy. Uh, and one way you can do that, of course, is to use terrain obstacles to sort of force the force the swarm to split mm -hmm. in a way that will sort of reorganize it and put your uh, meat shield robots back on the on the on the cutting edge uh, of the army. Here is where the game began to lose me, though. Uh, a couple times, what I ended up having happen was the map is filled with these little stands of trees and uh, buildings. And 
for the most part, they are impermeable to the to the robots, right? So they are just like terrain obstacles and such. But a decision was made, and I think this is probably a bad one, to make them to give them a little more articulation than I think they need so that like mm. there are gaps <laughs> in the trees. Uh, there are gaps between the buildings. Yes. I had a couple games uh, and, and like once this happens, you have to restart your run basically. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> I had a couple the, games because of the effect. <laughs> yeah. I had a couple games where somehow a robot um, would get itself stuck somewhere in between the trees. It would be like just jammed into a part in the forest and there is no way to figure out like how that little dude get stuck in there like how do i unstick him uh just it basically couldn't be done because you don't have the command uh you can't see the path they took in um nor will they ever get killed because they're safe from enemies in there and like the way it breaks the game is the game won't move on if there's a detached, like, like as the swarm spreads out, the camera zooms out and zooms out and zooms out. Um, but if there's a robot stuck somewhere in a corner of the level, there's a point at which the game is just going to sort of leash the camera in a certain area and be like, no, until like you got to, sorry, the swarm has to be reunited. Yeah. Um, and, that was one of those things where, like, for a game this simple and for a game like this boiled down, to have it fail in that way, I was like, I think you just lost me. Like, this, <laughs> this, was, this was an extremely bad call. Uh, mm-hmm. Because it's clear, like, the train isn't really meant to be anything more than, like, a rock that your army flows over and breaks against. Yeah. Uh, so it was just really astonishing to me. They're, they're like, the first time it happened, it took me, like, 20 minutes to realize, like what the hell is going on because only a single little blue pixel of the robot <laughs> was still showing next to the uh like next to the tree that they'd tr- been trapped under mm-hmm. um and so like it took me ages to figure out like why can't i advance anymore uh and then i realized there's this little flashing uh b- blue pixelated leg uh that <laughs> that denoted one of my troopers was was stuck uh, which was which was a bummer yeah well, this, this this is very funny. Or, I mean, I'm sorry this happened to you, but this definitely did not ever happen to me. Like, not even one time. Which maybe suggests uh, a difference in how we approach the management of troops in this game. Yeah, I was maybe trying too much to organize around the uh, the little blocky bits where I was like, ah, I will flow my troops over this and sort of reorient the swarm. Uh, that's definitely why that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, yeah. Well, it, that's some feedback for the Escape Dead Earth uh, developers. Yeah, hey, maybe. bold conjectures. Uh, yeah. Get on this. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like that being said, I thought it was a charming-looking game, and I did love that uh, almost Katamari-like logic mm-hmm. of yeah, the yeah. taking a fight, the taking of fights, and how to go about digesting these swarms of enemy robots. Yeah, and did you did did you complete the game? uh no that like once the frustration hit i was like i think i'm out well so the the kind of like final there's like maybe four little regions to go through and then the end is a rocket that is like gonna take you off dead earth and then it becomes a point defense game um and you basically have to stand in the circle at the end you have to keep your army in the circle while it like uploads your, your consciousness or something right 
Um, and so you, you have to like roam around and you're being assaulted from all sides. And so you're having to kind of control your army and make sure that you're fighting and making, making sure that they're in a position where they can resurrect the most, uh, other robots. It's a really cool, like last little, you know, one sixth of the game or something that really changes a bit. Um, so it's worth, uh, worth trying to get to that point. <laughs> yeah. That seems, that seems pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but probably not as cool as the last game we're going to be talking about here, uh, Death Crown. Mm-hmm. Cam, you want to take us into what Death Crown is? Oh, this game is wild. Um, so it is a death uh, narratively. Maybe is the best way to start here. Death is coming for this weird fantasy king-looking dude, and he has uh, shaped his kingdom in such a way in order to prevent that from happening. And so you have an overworld map uh, where you are death and you're on this flying fortress thing that teleports around and uh, you have to defeat all of these kind of uh, little, I don't know, like a giant cube in the sky and like a, like a conspiracy pyramid and all this kind of stuff um, all around. So it's this highly detailed, really evocative, big weird map. And there are these really evocative one bit because it's all black and white pixel art. Um, or black and white 3D art converted into pixely looking stuff. Um, and uh, so, so you're flying around this big world map and then you select from that very uh, Dungeon Keeper looking world map, I think. Um, and uh, you go in and it's a tile, like a hex-based grid where you uh, build troop producing facilities and then you build towers to uh, defend your troop uh, placing facilities. And uh, that's the game. So you're taking over tiles in order to produce troops that then automatically move, almost like um, like a tower defense style, move toward down a pathway toward the enemy king's facility. And there are all kinds of different ways that that map gets managed, but really the game is just um, facility placement, and then management of uh, other people's or your, your enemy's troops that are coming toward you. So um, a little bit more, I mean, it, it, still real-time strategy, but um, tile-based rather than, um, you know, more, less Tiberian Sun. Yeah, it's um, it's such a stylish game, uh, yeah. first of all. Like, it just has such an incredible look. Um Screenshots give you an idea of it, but in motion, uh, you know, for for all that simplicity, it is kind of astonishing to see it begin to spin into motion as armies of the dead are sort of dispatched from their graveyards uh, and start mm-hmm. like battering themselves against the walls of this, uh, you know, of these castle towns, and I think the. The thing I really appreciate about it, again, like to this point of uh, really radical simplicity, is that mostly this is a game of reading the map and reading the map state. And so, for instance, both both... both commanders, both sides, will build these troop-producing units, uh, the, these troop-producing buildings, and from those, you just set a rally point, and that's going to send these troops on these little, these little beelines to wherever they're going. Wherever they're going, uh, and the easiest way to defend against that is to throw up a tower 
uh, a tower sort of projects a radius of control uh, to all the hexes adjacent to it, um, unless an enemy uh, tower or building is also exerting uh, control over that, at which point you have a bit of uh, no man's land. Mm-hmm. But the the very cool thing about this is that you are constantly trying to chip away at each other's buildings and defenses. And as you do that, you are changing the layout of the map effectively. You are sort of, your base is crawling closer to theirs. But chances are, if you were making an effort in one place, they were making an effort somewhere else. And they are probably also beginning to chip away in another position that now you had a position that was well defended, but is beginning to collapse. And you've got a bunch of uh, troop producing facilities which can't defend themselves, or you have a mine uh, which mm-hmm. produces money for you that can't defend itself. Suddenly that is becoming exposed, and you have to figure out okay, how do you keep up the pressure where you've got a push going, but also shore up uh, what is verging on disaster here? And yeah. even though it's super. even though it's super simplified that's actually a tough thing to assess on the fly at the speed this game can sometimes begin to operate and I was really delighted by like how panicky this game could make me as like you'd have these huge swings in map position that made me realize like oh uh, the dynamics of this game state are completely different than they were 10 seconds ago and I need to figure out what this map should look like now. Yeah, especially since map control, I think you're exactly right. Like, you know, having map awareness and then being aware that that where you are building, if you can build there, it fundamentally means they are building somewhere else. So everything you do is having, a, you know, an opportunity cost trade-off with what they are accomplishing. But it's on top of that, there are like pylons on the map and the more pylons that you control there generally are three the more you control the more powerful your units you're sending across the map are and so they might be in a worse position in the sense of um they they might not have as many facilities being produced or they might not have as much um you know control across the map but they might have two of the pylons and that means that their enemy or that their troops are hitting your troops and demolishing them and then blowing right through them. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and it's happening, like you're saying, extremely quickly. Um, I really think that this game, partially partially, what's cool about it, I think, is, is what we've been talking about this whole time. Pairing away parts of the bigger genre, figuring out, you know, what is interesting for them. And here, the interesting piece is facilities, management right it's like map and facilities management and that's 90 percent of this whole thing uh and map control um but but what i think is interesting about it too is it has stapled on that kind of um like nuclear throne uh dead cells like fail fast kind of thing in contemporary game design which is not something rts games have ever done before (laughs) talk about a fail slow genre (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there was, um, God, there was one map that I hated but ended up loving. It was one of my favorites, uh, where you were started equidistant between two of the enemy's bases, and you were nestled between these two ranges of hills. So you got like, yeah. these two crescents of hills that are protecting you from the direct shot from each of these enemy bases. But nevertheless, you are attacked on both sides. And you have to figure out, like, how do you break out of this position and... Uh, you know, knock one of these bases down. Um, 
that was a really confounding task. I think where I did find myself a little bit uh, maybe let down was the fact that so often the solution to the game was, oh, like, win some easier scenarios. Upgrade. And now just the math is in your favor. Uh, You know, now, like, for instance, now you've upgraded your minds twice. Uh, At this point, the game's economic balance is basically broken in your favor. And you put a couple mines down, and they are just cranking out resources. So that enables you to slap down towers uh, much faster. That enables you to slap down troop-producing the the graveyards uh, faster. And I did find myself wanting the... uh, What's the Sudoku uh, Sudoku version of this game, right? What's the, what's the version of this where I'm like, where it's like, you know, I got work in ten minutes. Oh, I'll load up a really satisfyingly challenging and balanced version of this. Um, I don't know, maybe it's the domination mode, uh, but that yeah. stuff seemed a little more straightforward uh, after playing the campaign. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I I know that they are planning on doing. So they just released the human campaign, which I haven't played yet. Uh, which is like a slightly different way of doing the game, I guess. And then they have, they're releasing another piece of DLC down the road. So I'm assuming that, because I, for, for me, this game is like, I love this game. I think it's awesome, but it also, it feels, it, it feels like a 1.0. Um, yeah. And I think that the 2.0 of this game is going to be extremely good. Um, and I'm glad that they're taking like a year basically of doing regular DLC releases in order to kind of, you know, see what the game space of this whole thing is. I mean, how, how far can you push it before it gets too complicated? I think that's a a really important lesson to learn. And I I think that they should, you know, they should do it. They should push it. Um, and then how far can you pull it back before it loses it too? Um, because I agree. Yeah. The upgrades kind of mess with the game a little bit, but also there's some weird stuff that happens with the game where, I, because there's like kind of four big enemies on the map that you have to defeat before you defeat yeah. the king. And so I got to a point where I'd, I'd done like three one star, you know, things, which were the lowest difficulty. And I had like two two stars and then everything else yes. was four star and above. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I sure wish they'd found a more elegant way to sort the difficulty levels than by having you run that animation of your castle breaking through the ground at the mm-hmm. different battlefields. Because uh, while it's a cool animation, it does mean the game pauses for like five seconds as you click around these possible missions. Yeah. And when you're in that phase of, look, I just need to win. I just need, I need <laughs> a, uh, I need a drought breaker here. Uh, so where can I go to get, get a win? Uh, that did, that did slow things up a little bit, and it did seem like there was a sort of a mid-game difficulty spike. Uh, yeah. That once I was through it, then everything became trivial. Like yeah. I like there was one mission that I like cracked, and that gave me the resources to buy a critical upgrade. Uh, and at that point, I just I just wrecked house. One thing I did the probably my favorite mission in this was um, it might have been made more difficult by the fact that. In some ways, so much is happening, and the monochrome like look of the game does sometimes make it a little bit tricky to parse. But there's a mission yeah. where you're attacking this fucking wizard tower, and <laughs> it is converting your own buildings against you. Yes, that was also my favorite one. But I didn't realize what was like. I kept like I kept doing double takes where I was like, "Wait, how the hell did that happen?" 
Yeah. Like, wait, why is there? I swear to God, I had a tower there. Now there, now there's an enemy tower. It's is that my own tower shooting at me? Uh, that was really cool. Like once I figured out, like, oh shit, this thing is co-opting all my buildings. Uh, you know, not not super fast. That's how it's balanced. Uh, you know, if you you can still you basically have to counter what this thing is doing. But God, I love I love the 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 way it again turned the the la- the geography of my own holdings against me in a way that I yeah. found really interesting. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I I love that a lot, and especially I love that. Because that kind of double take you're talking about, exact same thing happened to me. And it's because the game has trained you so far, like every single mission, I just need to be looking at the edges of my territory. Yeah. The edge, expanding the edge of my territory is the thing that matters and figuring out where the cost trades are in order to do that. That's the big decision point to make. And so having a, a level where that is explicitly you, you, you're really only downfall. Once you figure that out, it's pretty simple. But uh, yeah, I lost that probably two or three times before I really realized what was happening. Um uh, I really, really enjoyed that. I liked all the kind of boss fights. Oh, yeah. I, I, I kind of think that, you know, if you, you know, maybe um, take away 50% of the normal fights and just double up on the boss fights, I think that would be perfectly fine. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I can't, like, like you said, I can't wait to see where this game goes uh, because when I was in the middle of a really good scenario, like, it was so satisfying figuring out now okay, I've cracked that part of the defenses. Now where am I sending my troops? Because uh, the AI is pretty good about retrenching its positions and, yeah. uh, you know, creating defensive lines, uh, you know, in new positions or, like, using the lack of pressure in one area to begin launching an offensive uh, against you. And it was really cool when it was a really closely contested fight and it's just a pitched battle of uh, trying to chip away at these, uh, you know, sort of these these tendrils of the enemy army. And again, you know, it reminded me of, of games like uh, Supreme Commander Total Annihilation. Again, yeah. the way those those games were all about these these really huge titanic pitched battles about basically extending map control mm-hmm. and getting more and more of the rate economy swinging in your favor and against the enemy. This gave me that feeling but without the need to master Supreme Commander with all the shit that goes along with that. And instead, it just gives me what is the most satisfying part of that game to me in some ways, but yeah. in this really stylish and focused uh, format. Yeah, and, and that's why I really draw strong connections between like that contemporary indie action game design, right? This like kind of post... I don't know, like post 2015, you know, the way that we're thinking about, uh, you know, action games right now, because because a lot of those right are like, how do we resurrect the the kind of short form feeling of games like Doom, or how do we compress the kind of uh, feeling that um, you know the first person shooters of the late 2000s that they give without that whole big massive apparatus to it you know what does screen shake do as a aesthetic that that confers some sort of um, excitement value right for the player and for me this this feels the same way exactly like you're saying like how do we get the the 
affective reaction of these big, big games, but in the smallest way possible. Um, and I really like the way that, because, you know, those games, those big RTS games, in order to push through a win, you do do weird things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes you just, like, plop down, uh, like, four hatcheries. <laughs> yeah. And, and you need, because you need larvae. And you're just going to make it happen, right? And what I really love about Death Crown is that, one, that strategy is always available to you. But, two, the AI will make that choice. Like, the AI sometimes will see that you are, you know, that maybe one tower went down on the north side of your territory. And it'll plop down all of its gold worth of production facilities in the north just to push that advantage. Um, and that gives you this like extreme like oh shit like I have I do not have the production capability to fix this so I need to like reroute my dudes just to just to intersect their route to attacking me not to win here but just to stave off what is occurring um, and I just love that I think it's great yeah and I love how legible it is uh, yeah hundred percent you know one of the quintessential RTS experiences uh, maybe always maybe this has always been a feature of it but the you lost the game, but you're not entirely sure why, right? Yeah. Because you were in the fog of war. And so what you know is at a certain point, you know, at, at 28 minutes into this match, uh, a massive enemy army broke through in a position you weren't expecting and uh, with a composition you weren't expecting. And yeah, okay, you didn't scout it. That's, that much is obvious. But like in terms of, but how did that entire line of play happen? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what was the entire, how did all of that unfold? Uh, that that cost me the game that I couldn't that I couldn't see this thing uh, spiraling away from me, and I think what what I really enjoy about uh, sort of these mini RTSs, but especially a game like like Circle Empires, is this notion of no the the game's not going to trick you that way. It's going to it shows you its work. Uh, you have a chance to respond, but it does. But you still have to find the right response, mm-hmm. and I think that is a Really cool thing, probably a valuable lesson for a lot of folks working in the RTS space right right now, right? Like, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think you know, and this is tying it again to like the, these other games, but I see a lot of that that legibility. That to me is a lot like something like Spelunky, right? Which is can be very complicated. A lot of different things can happen all at one time. But if if you can see what is occurring and you can see all the agents that are involved, you can work backward or work forward from how those things are going to run into one another. Um, and all of these RTS games, you can work backward very simply how all the different elements run into each other. And that is not the case across the vast majority of RTSs. You're, you're going to have to look at like a wiki to figure that out. Um, and so you always know what happened and you always generally can predict what is going to happen. Um, and that just makes it so much more approachable. And I think that's a big part of these for me is that, uh, at no time, you know, so for example, you know, I was saying, I, I was playing circle empires again the other day. I, I booted that game up because I was like, oh, okay, I know exactly. Like I'm going to try to play on nightmare and I'm going to see like, if I can unlock some new, some new people. And I was able to do that not because I went and read up on like good unit comps, which I would have to do if I were playing an RTS on the highest difficulty. Um, I, you know, I just got in there and I started build, experimenting around a little bit. And it, it's a short enough game where you can experiment for 45 minutes and then come to a good thing on your own. Uh, whereas if I were doing that in literally any other RTS, it would be a losing venture. So, so that's important to me too, is that I can 
it, the whole thing, top to bottom, is so legible that I can skill build in a very comfortable way um, and, and kind of become like a good player on my own terms as opposed to really having to discipline or mold myself into something that the game is expecting from me. Yeah, and and you don't have to mold your life into yes. into a condition where you can you can afford to skill up and get good at these things, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably the. Uh, I there's a lot. The, I think these are cool games in their own right. I also think there's a good reason why I react them powerfully to them today, mm-hmm. uh, because like I miss that experience, uh, but it is tougher and tougher to find the time to forget about even getting good, but like just committing to an RTS match uh, sometimes is just a little bit trickier. uh, It's a bigger bite than you have time for. And it's really cool to be able to get to the 15 minute, like between meetings or, you know, waiting for dinner to be done. Uh, Getting to that sort of time scale uh, just makes it a lot more delightful and sort of lifts that fog of obligation that sometimes hangs over your heavier strategy game. 100%. And this is also to the, I think now in retrospect, because, you know, I I really love the game Northgard a whole lot. I think it's in this universe of games. Um, But, but, you know, after having thought about these games uh, a bit, I think the reason I like Northgard so much is it's this type of game, but for civilization. Yeah, like uh, Northgard occurred to me, I would say in terms of, uh, I think it's a good way to put it. And I think where that analogy keeps it out of this category in some ways is that Northgard wants to render strategy design down to a lot of essentials and then throw Mm -hmm. it into an RTS format. But it still wants you to get deeply invested in a game. Like a Northgard game can run long. That thing can go slowly and really deliberately as you sort of adjust your because that is all about constantly sort of reappraising uh your your state of play what resources you need to be uh, pursuing where you need to expand next um and i think northgard is similarly straightforward to circle empires but i think it is still interested in scratching that civilization itch or cla- or or like or like rise of nations itch maybe more mm-hmm. than is the uh you know quick session uh game 100%. Yeah, I mean I yeah, I I would love for cuz we you know on the range touch discord we have played I think eight players is the maximum you can do for Northgard and we've played we've played maximum player numbers of Northgard games and weirdly enough they are much faster than you would think but they're also still take quite a long time but yeah I would love for someone to do what what we've been calling the kind of mini RTS I would love for someone to give me the, the mini civ um, a 45 minute playable civilization style game um, even if it didn't have multiplayer, right? I don't, I don't need that. But a fast, you know, a little bit of social policy, a little bit of um, military, a little bit of city building. Um, I, I'm sure that would be extremely difficult. I'm sure there's a reason why that game is not running around right now. But uh, that would be amazing. But for now, we've got a, for now we've got a nice burgeoning genre here, though. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to conti- to seeing it continue to grow. Uh, not in not in game size, 
uh, but in terms of <laughs> variety, yeah, uh, that is the the sort of the, the sort of micro RTS. I think has a lot of a lot of promise, especially for those of us who have, uh, for one reason or another, uh, found ourselves a little bit removed from the RTS space. Or also, the RTS space is maybe not as vibrant as vibrant as it needs to be mm-hmm. uh, to keep <laughs> sure. us all happy either. So it's just cool to have uh, new games like this to talk about. Yeah. Um, Speaking of talking about games, Cam, top of the show, you teased where people can find uh, some of your cool side projects. Uh, obviously, people can read a lot of your work over at waypoint.vice.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where does the game studies curious uh, listener go to get onboarded to that topic? So you can go to, uh, you can find all the stuff at, on my Twitter at C Kunzelman. Um, you can also find it at Ranged Touch, R A R A N G E D T O U C H. On Twitter, that's all of the Ranged Touch stuff. You can also go to rangedtouch.com. Um, so, yeah, so you can find out all about the stuff we do about Baldur's Gate, um, game studies, books. Um, importantly, this is not just for academics or anything like that. If you're just interested in learning what's going on with game studies um, and you want to hear two people talk about a book and try to make it approachable, in one time a movie, uh, then uh, then you, then you can do it. Or you know, it's not for one audience. It's it's meant for anyone who's interested in these general issues to find out what the hell is going on in game studies. Um, you can go to YouTube.com/slash/RangeTouch as well to see all the videos that we do. Our currently running series. I just finished up a stream. I've been streaming weekly, uh, but it, but and all the vods are on YouTube now. But I finished up a stream of XCOM Enemy. Within, I'm sure that 3MA people can come and be extremely frustrated with me <laughs> playing the game poorly. But it's a, 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 a Iron Man run, uh, and so it, it's really fun. There's like 20 hours of that. But we also have done Let's Plays, and we also have a currently running series called uh, Too Much Future, which is a show where we uh, play little pieces of the Fallout games, and then we talk about them at length, the same as everything else we do. Um, we've already finished up Fallout 1, and we've just started Fallout 2. So if, you, if you're interested in two people trying, you know, thinking long form about Fallout, uh, then that's the place to go for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's a whole bunch of different things. Uh, you can check it out. I'm also the editor at large at Paste Magazine, uh, for the game section. So you can see me, uh, there. I write about Magic the Gathering and D&D there mostly. All right. Uh, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week. Hopefully, with more strategy discussion. Uh, it was a weird February. Uh, mm. getting, getting a dog uh, basically destroyed uh, what small semblance of order my schedule had and threw my life into chaos. But uh, now that she sleeps through the night and doesn't have to go outside every uh, 60 minutes, uh, things are getting a lot more on the even keel around here. This episode <laughs> was produced by Michael Hermes. Through his head as host on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show. Discuss this episode with our community at throughmovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Through His Head is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. That's what's further information about our super secret Discord server where we occasionally talk about strategy games. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Cam, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.